Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 303rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that knows Teenage Mutant Neon Turtles are part of a well-balanced cardboard portfolio. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen, at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here. Looking forward to making as many references to Ink and Neon and Turtles in the 90s as I can. Yeah, uh, maybe some 80s references if I can think of them as we go here. Cyberpunk in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That is FINANCE5, the number 5. Travis, what is on the agenda this week? Well, this week, uh, I suppose we should lead off with a Merry Christmas uh, for our American listeners. Do you guys celebrate Christmas this time, the same day as we do? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Merry Christmas to you, some, if but not all. Happy holidays for those of you that don't celebrate that particular holiday. Yep. I am. Uh, so we're going to start off here. Jingle Bells. Segment one, MTG Automatic Game Week in Review. Segment two, our top paper movers. Some cards that have moved in price this week and some MTGO movers. Segment three, our cards to watch, which is our present to all of you. And segment four, our weekly topics. We've got some more details on Kamigawa, both the Kamigawa Platinum product from Beetle and Grimms that we talked about last week. We've got some more details on it, as well as some additional spoilers out of the set. We've got some basic lands and uh, a big hullabaloo about ink. But let's start out here at the top, the uh, metagame we can review. We've got this modern super quile holifier here from December 19th coming in at number one, uh, a deck that we see pretty regularly, although it feels like it's been a week or two. Uh, Shardless Footfalls, and I see the Three Fury here in the main, which is unsurprising, and uh, Subtlety sneaking in here too. Yeah, single copy of Subtlety. They're also running four which... Violent Outbursts now that they didn't used to be running. Uh, I know I have seen this card recently. Maybe were they not running all four of them in past weeks? I think in the early versions in the summer, that card was absent. Gotcha. I remember seeing this recently. Uh... I am glad to see the subtlety on here because I happen to have, I think, a playset of foil subtlety extended arts on my desk because they were very cheap while I was buying other stuff. Well, and they all, like, they also look... Someone's going to play this somewhere one day. <laughs> During preview... I mean, which which elemental, elemental incarnation is the best has shifted a lot since, yeah. since preview season. Preview season, everybody was talking about ephemerate being used on solitude and grief and it was the grief combo that everybody thought was the most busted 
Fury was largely left aside. Um, Endurance was kind of always middle of the pack. And uh, Subtlety was was right up there um, in a whole bunch of deck lists in the early goings as people were feeling out the format. As time has gone on, Subtlety has lost slots in a lot of decks and gone from four to zero or one um, and largely fell out of the format, whereas Solitude has become one of the top cards in the format sum total and is also a major player in edh so uh between solitude and fury you probably have the and endurance you have the top three and then grief has fallen to the very back of the pack and i think subtlety just in front of it yeah so i mean we're definitely not at subtlety being a big part of the metagame today but it just reminds me of the titans and how they were ebb and flowed in terms of which one was good and which one wasn't and sometimes it took a little while um, but I've got faith here, faith of the heart, because I've been watching Star Trek Enterprise recently. Right. Subtlety will show up at some point. It's been in 1,400 decks on EDH Rec so far, so it's got a little, a, a little bit of uh, EDH support as well. Um, That's but, true. But I think it, it may struggle uh, in a format that has a lot of other good blue cards to make use of. Uh, if Force of Negation didn't exist in the format, I think it might see more play, just because it has some overlapping uh, effect there. Uh, the ability to pitch cards uh, effectively to have a counterspell type effect available. Um, and then Archmage's Charm, Cryptic Command, and Counterspell being ushered back into the format means blue decks already have a very strong suite of control cards. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely no shortage of options. And I don't know what the card would have to be that would suddenly make Salty excellent. But we've seen it with various other cards before where you're like, I don't know what it'll take to make this good. And then whatever it is shows up and you go, Oh, that's it. That's what it would take to make this good. I mean, it being an elemental means that the four color Omnath builds found use for it along the way as well. But there are so many iterations of four or five color Yorion, uh, Omnath, both in 60 and 80 card lists that the format doesn't seem to have settled on any one list per se. Um, you certainly see variants, Every week, more or less. Mm-hmm. Continuing on with this modern super qualifier from December 19th, just a couple days ago, we have Black White Hammer Time. Uh, this is the one that has uh, Dark Confidant in the board, uh, Three Portable Hole, also notable in the main, Grixis Shadow in third and fourth, Green White Hammer Time, where they're leaning on four ancient stirrings to go find necessary artifacts in fifth place, Blue Red Merc Tide, a perennial top eight uh, tier one deck in the format. Uh, Bring to Light Omnath, yet another one of those aforementioned Omnath variants, uh, in 7th with Escape Shift to go uh, to go call Tutor up with BTL as necessary, and then 4-Color Yorion uh, in a more standard configuration in 8th. Over in the Modern Challenge same day, you had Black-White Hammer Time in 1st here. Um, Hammer Time, just straight white in 2nd, Blue-Red Merktide in 3rd, 4-Color Yorion in 4th and 5th. Jeskai Merktide, a little bit of a variant there, in 6th. Yogmoth Combo in 7th, and Grixis Shadow in 8th. No huge surprises and more of the same. A steady, healthy-looking format that I, I suspect this era will be looked on fondly down the road when they introduce Modern Horizons 3 and upset the Apple Cart. Yeah. <laughs> and that one's just somehow horribly busted in one of the worst-received sets ever. They got pretty lucky to not have a Hogak in retrospect where, you know, Ragavan and Urza Saga and a few other cards are just on the border of what they could get away with. 
and where they kind of have the perfect desired effect. Like Saffron Olive posted a, a tweet earlier this week talking about how the average modern deck is significantly more expensive now than it was uh, for most of the last five or six years. And a big part of that is that so many of the cards that are necessary to play are coming out of a, a premium set that's twice or more the price of a regular booster box, um, and that they've done that twice in the last three years. Uh, the, the more that they do that, and the, with the success of MH2, of course there will be an MH3 in 2023. Like, I'd be so surprised if that's not the case. Um, they found a model that works here. This is this is a, a good-looking modern format. They can hang their hat on it. They can justify going back to it. And the only problem is that for people that have budget concerns with modern, they're in a in a tough situation especially given that you know covid is now threatening again to institute wide-ranging lockdowns uh, across many parts of the globe and further endanger people's pocketbooks i think uh i think you're absolutely correct well, correct on a couple fronts but one of them being that they got quite lucky with what's legal and what needed to be banned and what didn't because for a cards to be as potent as uh, Urza, Urza Saga, and Ragavan, but to not actually have to ban anything, at least at this point, is an extremely fine line. Then so many cards here were so potent and nothing got banned. It seems like if, if the coin flipped slightly differently on like nine different cards, this would have been considered a debacle. Yeah. And the in the incarnations are in that list too. Like balancing those was not easy, and I think you actually do have to like give them a round of applause. This was not at all an easy set to balance, and especially since you got based on as much as we know, they don't really test modern as a format based on their their design choices, right? Like that's not uh, that's not a it's not a not. not a big part of their process. So they are kind of like whistling in the dark. I mean, I'm I'm sure that. You know, when they're making Modern Horizons, you know, they're testing it a little bit. But for the most part, yeah, it's not a not a common habit. And I'm willing to bet they, they you know, they probably knew some of the decks that would emerge. But I'm willing to bet they've missed a lot of what was going to happen here. And the interactions between the companions from Ikoria and then the things that they gave us in the Mage 2... Um, and just the kind of evolution of the format as a whole into kind of a, an entirely different animal where a lot of the older decks are largely absent. Like you don't see, we still see Tron occasionally, but it's not, it's not here this, this, this week. And if we go back multiple weeks, it's only popped up here and there. Um, you know, we've got Jund, but <clears throat> the favored version of Jund is new Jund that leans on MH2 cards and, and so on and so forth. You know, Outdrazi had a moment there earlier this fall and and seems to be off the radar again so uh very very curious to see how this develops the next time they try it yeah it'll be fine they just they're just gonna miss the mark just a hair on one side and suddenly it's just gonna be awful and in the meantime i'm just buying more modern horizons 2 collector boosters because <laughs> they're packed to full of value yeah uh Moving on to top paper movers of the week, uh, mostly focusing on the action here that's related to all the Kamigawa hype that we're building up to with a late February release in the works for about two months from now. Uh, we've got Higure, the Still Wind, and if you're a Japanese listener or a Japanese speaker, please forgive us butchering your language since we just have no training in it whatsoever. Uh, hey, I took an entire year of Japanese Okay, in well then, <clears throat> by all means, please take the lead. 
It would be <clears throat> Higure. Higure. Okay. Higure. Higure. Because it's always consonant and then vowel. And each of those is pronounced as a syllable. Okay. So Higure. Oh. But the, the re is... I think that's normal. There's like one or two that look like they're... That are a little different. Okay. Like T A N is actually one pronunciation. I don't remember. It's been a while. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, the steel one. But from Betrayers of Kamigawa, non foils 10 to 18. I mean, we're going to talk about this for half the deck or half the picks, right? Have the top movers uh, as a top paper. Uh, sorry. As a moving based on the Kamigawa hype here. So just the non foil Higure, Higures, Higures. See, but I don't like speak Japanese, so it's one of those words. It's like, is it higure, higure? I don't know. <laughs> that part of that I don't know. We're, right? we're probably like, safer just moving on. the The card has gone from ten to eighteen dollars this week. It's a ninja spec. Um, it's only ever appeared in Plane Chase Anthology, Plane Chase Twenty Twelve, and Betrayers of Kamigawa. So it doesn't have a mystery booster printing yet. But I will be willing to bet dimes to donuts that there are one of three options is going to emerge in the next three months it's either going to be in the mystery booster it's going to be added to the list for the set boosters for kamigawa or it's going to show up in a secret layer or it's going to show up in the commander deck uh so i'm not sure i want to be holding i'm happy to be selling non-foil copies right now i'm not sure i want to be holding them into that adventure original foils will probably have spiked and are going to you know where you find the opportunity to sell them to either someone who's very excited to build a ninja deck, already runs Yuriko, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to get a very healthy price for them, I would imagine, during this hype cycle. Um, but a lot of those have already dried up, so the opportunity uh, may be moot. Would be very curious to see what they might offer uh, the next time they print this card, because it could be some cool art forthcoming. Yeah, uh, it, it would be nice. I, I, I would agree that it is extremely high on the secret layer or some other or mystery booster too. mystery booster is going to give us this, I would imagine the same artwork, right? Cause there are always reprints like that, but uh, definitely can't imagine we make it out of Kamigawa without a version of this. This next one I clocked as a win for you since it's one of your prior selections. Just trying to track down when that was episode 299. You called, foil fallen shinobi out of mh1 to go 10 to 20 and this week it did indeed go 16 to 30 so you've already got a win on the books there uh just a, a month or so ago looking good goblin charbelcher out of ema went from 7 to 13 uh of course charbelcher one i think won another event this weekend it might have been the challenge that was on the saturday that we didn't talk about um and charbelcher has been showing up over and over again on top eights lately, so not surprised to see Charbelcher foils on the move. I'm trying to remember if one of us threw that on a list sometime recently. Just double checking. I know don't. we talked about it, but I don't remember in what context we talked about I it. I think we flagged that the EMA foils were cheap, so I'm not surprised to see them moving. Um, moving on, we got uh, Yugen. Is that correct? Uh, J Okay, uh, sure. I did, see, I don't think that that's actually Japanese. I think that's... You think it's a made-up word to sound Japanese? I am leaning in that direction, yes. Okay, I'm going to go with Yugen the Rising Star, but maybe I'm wrong. 
Champions of Kamigawa, foils 10 to 20. Uh, this is just a Kamigawa hype play. People looking at iconic characters from the previous block and trying to make some money on them. They did announce during the, li the live stream on Twitch that they had on Friday. I think that was the 17th or the 16th of the month. Um, that the dragons are all coming back. They're being... Uh, resurrected in new forms. So we're going to get new versions of the dragons. It won't be reprints, strict reprints of them. And based on the themes announced for the commander decks, it doesn't look like the old dragons necessarily fit in there. And even if they did, it wouldn't be the foil versions. So I think like a small handful of these kinds of these kinds of specs will do okay. Um, though I don't think that there are themes specific to either to the new set that make me want to own Yugen specifically. Um, Dead or Gone. Foil Common from Time Spiral Remastered going from $5 to $10. If you cracked a bunch of that, you might want to double check if you've got these sitting around. Um, it's seeing a, quite a bit of modern play, uh, including in the Shardless Footfalls deck that won that Super Qualifier we just talked about. They run two copies in the main. Yeah. Uh, because the combined casting cost is considered 5 or 6 or whatever. can't remember what both sides of Dead and Gone cost, but I think that's the deal. Something like that. Uh, so it doesn't get hit by uh, by their Cascade cards? Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, both, yeah. Both, it's four total casting cost because it's one on one side and three on the other. And the the dead side is basically a shock against creatures, which is the normal target for a shock anyway. And then the other side is a bounce, so you can get rid of a problematic permanent, like a Planeswalker or something, give yourself time to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, those, uh, those split cards have that utility and will always, seems like, have that utility. So and this... any split cards get printed in the future, if they have a, a half of it that's castable, even in rather specific scenarios, if it's cheap, one or two mana, it might be uh, worth keeping an eye on because some sort of cascade or other cost-carrying deck will find a use for it eventually. This has only ever been printed twice. Planar Chaos and then Time Spiral Remastered like 15 years later. So there's only, there's a $10 copy near Mint of the original Dead and Gone on TCG. That should probably just be scooped by first person to get to it. Uh, and then there's two $30 copies and that's it. And then the Time Spiral Remastered copies are down to I think five listings or something like that. And are going to likely to go poof in the very near future. Time Spiral Remastered doesn't have a super high print run. It's not in print any longer. Um, and I'm willing to bet that from cracking Russian boxes, I have a couple of these sitting around. It's only a common, not an uncommon. And uh, I might be able to get 15 or 20 bucks for those. Yeah, it's possible. That'd be a nice little EV contributor. Yeah, it sure would. Yeah, that's uh, for a common. Can't complain about that. Uh, Striped Riverwinder is kind of a similar deal. That's like a living end card. 5-5 uh, creature with cycling. And only ever printed in Hour of Devastation. It's also a common. And foils of that are down to... Well, there's one co two copies listed at 300 bucks a piece on TCG Player. And the rest have been cleaned out. Yeah. So if you opened a bunch of HOD or had drafted it a bunch and you have some draft chaff sitting around, might want to take a look if you're sitting on a Striped Riverwinder because it's worth a lot more than you think it is. Just a... F My God. I mean, at minimum, you can probably get 40 or 50 bucks for it now, right? I have no idea if anybody's ever going to pay 300 uh, Looking at the sales history on TCG, we don't see foils moving very often. The last one that moved on December 18th was for $17. Yeah, 
Even still. But still a very impressive price for a card that was definitely thrown out in draft chaff many times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then we've got a, a trio of samurai specs that people have been targeting. Kentaro, the smiling cat out of Betrayers of Kamigawa. Uh, Non-foils going from 2 to $10. Uh, 400% gains. That's on the back of Kentaro letting you cast samurais for colorless mana on the presumption that samurai decks might be end up being three colors. You've got Oathkeeper, Takano's Daisho. Uh, I think I got that right. Uh, which is a legendary equipment from Champions of Kamigawa that gives equipped creature plus three plus one. And then whenever the equipped creature is put into a graveyard from play, you return that card to play under your control if it's a samurai. So it basically gives it a regeneration effect of your samurai. And then if the Daisho is put into a graveyard from play, you remove the equipped creature from the game. So the downside there in your samurai deck is if you equip up a samurai, presumably there's going to be a good samurai commander coming out with this set, and somebody disenchants your Daisho, <laughs> then the... Uh, I guess your commander would go back to the command zone, and if it was anything that wasn't a commander, it's gone. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's fun. These I'm looking at these names. I think Isao has got to be made up too. It just doesn't sound... I don't think that's a, like a real Japanese word. I know our listeners are looking for me to be the expert here. <laughs> yeah, I think they'll forgive us that we're we're not. Um, Isao enlightened, <laughs> enlightened Bushi... Uh, human Samurai 2-1 can't be countered. Bushido 2 bless you. Uh, 2 regenerate target Samurai. So the assumption here is that the there's going to be more Samurai for sure. Whether there's going to be Bushido or not remains to be seen, but this can regenerate all of your Samurai. So lowest price copy near Mint is now $17 on TCG Player. 12 listings. And we're showing it here at about 20 these will probably dry up. This could get reprinted in in the commander deck if if we guessed right and one of the decks is blue black and the other one is Naya colors. This could easily catch a reprint, and in which case you'd probably be better off selling ahead of that and selling foils uh, whenever you think peak demand is. Uh, yeah, this is. I mean. Two okay, to twenty yeah. on this for theoretical nine hundred percent gains. I'm happy to sell these at fifteen to twenty dollars. I oh yeah, absolutely. I don't know why Wizards would reprint this. This is a problem with a lot of the Kamigawa cards, is they don't seem worth reprinting. They're not good cards. Like this is not a card that anyone feels compelled to own, you know? Sure, but if one of those if one of those decks is a three color samurai deck, then this card fits in there. I mean, it fits in there in so much as it is a samurai that has been printed, but is it it's not good is it worth a reprint slot i mean they tend to keep the commander decks at a slightly lower power well that's so, just it I mean, right possible regenerating for two is a decent effect in a creature based strategy yeah i mean they don't like regenerate very much they have not printed that really at all right that's true it's not it's not evergreen anymore now they might be more inclined to print it in a commander deck where it's a lot less obnoxious than in like standard where they got rid of it for a reason. Um, but even still, if I'm wizards and I'm not printing anything with regenerate and there's, I might be inclined to just leave this and not bother. And that goes for a bunch of the Kamigawa stuff. They also, they also discussed that this set is, has a thematic schism that the set is a mixture of the old and the new. 
that there are elements and factions on Kamigawa that are resisting the modernization, that are kind of traditional and spiritual and, and fantasy-based, very similar to what we saw in the original block, and that there are elements that are full-on cyberpunk. That leads me to believe that the samur- the ninjas might be on the cyberpunk side and the samurai might be on the uh, old-school ways side, in which case you could see the green cards being part of that and Asao could fit into a deck that would emerge from all that. On the other hand, you're right. Like regenerate's not evergreen. The card is mediocre. It could just skip a reprint completely. Um, Anyway, you slice it. I know I have one or two copies of this sitting around in my collection. Definitely going to dig them out and sell them anywhere near 20 and be happy with the sale. I I think, uh, Oh, there are factions that uh, want to are, are traditionalists and don't want, the the new lifestyle is just a a cheater's way of saying well we still want to print some cards that aren't neon <laughs> we want we want to be able to print cards in the kamigawa half not the neon dynasty half but we need an excuse for that yeah. oh these guys conveniently are anti-technology and enjoy the old ways yes <laughs> yeah i mean that lets them kind of straddle their options and probably might it may have been part of a negotiation with upper management as to how they were going to approach the set for maximum sales value yeah. um bottom line that's the top paper movers of the week uh mostly stuff related to kamigawa top magic online movers of the week wooded foothills original onslaught printing eight tickets to almost 11 tickets 35 percent gains i i can only imagine that might be treasure chest uh drop rate related because there's no specific thing that would move that card Torpor Orb out of New Phyrexia, 3.8 tickets to 5.6, 48% gains. That's on the back of so many creatures in Modern having comes into play abilities right now, where Torpor Orb is useful in uh, shutting them down. Um, and there's some bleed over into EDH uh, decks that also want to be fooling around with Torpor Orb uh, lately. Gutshot out of Modern Horizons, t- uh, no, Modern Masters 2, uh, 1.5 ticks to 2.9, doubling up. Uh, presumably on modern use as well. Okay. Torpor Orb is a bit of a blast from the past. Yeah, I mean, this kind of card that you see just pop up here and there, uh, largely in EDH circles, um, usually as some kind of combo. Uh, But there are a bunch of incarnations running around that do things. Yeah, I mean, Torpor Orb was uh, very relevant in modern for quite some time. It's only relatively recently. So, well, maybe that's a, is that not accurate. But I haven't it seen was, it for a while. Is what you're trying? Yeah, to it it was a big. De- it was important in modern for a long while. I'll right. say that. So moving on to cards to watch. Eh, a nice tight list this week. Two picks for each of us. I'm going to go with some obvious stuff. Uh, Elish Norn, Foil Phyrexian from the Secret Lair, currently available at twenty dollars a piece. There are, we're down to 37 listings, pretty steep ramp. If you want them under 23, you don't have that many copies left. Then you got some big walls posted up, which is to be expected. You've got a, a wall uh, of uh, $23 copies, 28, sorry, $23 copies. There's 28 copies in that listing. Uh, and then another big wall. Uh, actually, that's that's the only big wall left. The rest of them are, I guess there's a few at 10. Um but this one just seems like such a slam dunk to me. First of all, this secret layer was a slam dunk. Uh, keep in mind that these sec- the secret layer Phyrexians was 
$40 for the whole layer. You got all five Phyrexians. You got a bonus card, and there was a very small chance you got a 1 in 100 <laughs> Viserysir. So kind of just a general win overall. And now, even just at current pricing, the Elish Nord is going for half the price of the layer. So you got the other four Praetors and whatever else you pulled for five bucks each. And none of them are going are, are selling at that price. Um, and I'm calling this to basically double because there's just no way this is going to sit here. Elish Norn is a massive EDH super staple, 27,000 decks reported on EDH rec, and that's despite it being a fairly expensive mythic for its entire existence. Uh, recent secret layer release, again, under 40 listings. Steep ramp, handful of them sell per day in both foil and non-foil, and this these foils already rebounded off 16 and are on an upward swing. Man, yeah, I mean, there's no, I can't really argue with this. Like the card has just been unbelievably popular for a very long period of time, and this version is cool. People are still going to want to play with it. Uh, and even if I you know I I don't have the supply in front of me, but I, I bet it's probably still decent. Uh, but even if it, whether it is or not, oh no, you said 37 TCG listings. Yeah, I mean, that's it's about that's eight, like... It's about it's, 70 to 80 copies total, but the ramp is very steep. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, you'll see more filter into the market probably as the price goes up. Like 80,000 of these it was a ballpark, right, of how many of the secret layers got printed. So, people who bought Un- them... Unconfirmed, pack, but yes. Unconfirmed. Yeah, we'll, we'll be cracking them as prices go up to try and move some singles, but... Uh, it doesn't matter. Like this card is is going to do very well over time, and maybe it'll take a couple months, maybe it'll take a year, but uh, it is as long as we don't see more copies of this show up, uh, which it seems unlikely that they would. You're in good shape here. It's probably worth flagging. There's a command zone episode that dropped today where they, uh, I think, it's the first year they've done this, launched a tradition of blingness, which is Christmas for fancy magic cards. And all of their decks were fully blinged out. Huh. Uh, and Jimmy brought a fancy Atraxa deck to the table, so basically nixed any chances of me showing up uh, to do said same next year. And uh, yeah, they showed off lots and lots of fancy cards that I'm sure many of our listeners have in their collections and or portfolios. <laughs> and uh, hopefully that will move some cardboard this weekend. Yeah, I, I hope they do more of those and they let us know what they're going to do. Yeah, they should send us the script secret. ahead of time. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Do, yeah, just so that we can verify that they're good choices. <laughs> I'm sure everybody thinks that's what we would do. Yep. Yep. I know that they are looking for that info- input from us. Uh, yeah. So Elish Norn, Secret Lair. I don't see how you go wrong here. The funny thing is like, I definitely bought double handful of these or something at the $40 price point, but I would have no trouble snapping off some of these at 20 bucks, even though I'm paying more than I needed to after the fact, because now I have more information and the information is good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I bought, I also bought some of the Elish Norns or the secret layers themselves, but I could still see picking up more of these just because they seem like a good bet. It's also worth flagging that these may be some of the, last really low-hanging fruit on the secret layer scene it's entirely possible heading into 2022 that you're going to just see more and more vendors dogpile in on tcg and create bigger and bigger walls of product um, as the word spreads that this is not just a f you from wizards to retail but actually an opportunity for retail to make money 
Um, and again, you have the one in a hundred cards that everybody's going to be chasing and they're doing a pretty good job launching interesting secret layers that also is going to play in. So we were talking in the discord today about how it's going to become increasingly necessary to not just pick the obviously good secret layers, but to be able to pick the ones that are going to be underestimated, underbought upfront and are going to therefore represent scarce, greater scarcity sooner in the marketplace. I, I just suspect 2022 is going to be harder to make money on a secret layer than it was in 2021. Um, good example I posted was people have, have been uh, concerned that the full art text lands haven't skyrocketed right out of the gate. And I, I flagged in the Discord today that in large part it's not because they're not selling. The foils and non-foils both sell on a, like, a steady, solid, steady pace as you would expect on TCG Player. It's just that the walls are gigantic. Like here we were talking about the biggest wall being a few dozen, right? The the walls for the full text lands are like dozens and dozens. Mm. And there are plenty of them. So it's going to take a significant amount of time for those vendors to sell out of those and for the price to creep up. Yeah, I mean, with, with something like the basic lands, you hope that that's just because... Uh, I mean, you presume it's because people who bought them to spec on them bought a bunch because they because, thought they could sell 10 or 20 at a time. Right, 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 right. Because it's the type of secret layer. You're not planning on selling two. You're planning on selling 10. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got a bunch of those myself, but I had intended to be on the long haul. You know, the idea of trying to nail the the secret layer that's less popular is something we've talked about a couple times. And, you know, when we talk of our reviews of every secret layer drop that comes out, you know, I kind of point that out. Like, okay, this one might be the one that is quietly under the radar it's a, but that is a really tough game to play to try and nail that for sure that's not uh not easy to, to figure out which one is going to be good later but isn't popular today yeah even if you're paying money to be in our discord and and bouncing ideas off many very experienced tcg sellers as one is wont to do in the pro trader discord you're still rolling dice on whether your theories are going to come to fruition. We're going to try to tighten up some of the data analysis on that shortly. I'm going to go back and take a look at, say, like all the secret layers, non-foil versus foil, which one would have worked out best for you based on what we know so far and see how we're doing. We'll probably report back on cast on that in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, Cassie did that recently uh, and has checked in on it, or she did at some point. And, um, Over on TCG Player Infinite, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, there's that information is out there, and uh, didn't um, Alexis do that too? We we've had discussions on portions of the data along the way, but I like I want to get my hands dirty on the data myself and try to make sure we're looking at it from all all angles, and then add fuel to the fire one way or the other. I see. Uh okay. So that was we were selling Alishorn for that. I like Alishorn. I think it's a good pick. I think that um, the card is remarkably popular and will continue to be popular. And even if you, whether you did or didn't get the secret layer before, it still is giving you an opportunity to get in today. Alrighty. What about your first selection? My first selection is a card that wasn't really on my radar, but I'm kind of looking at the numbers here. Uh, Ephemerate, the Japanese full art mystical archive from Strixhaven. And you're probably kind of going, huh? Uh, this is a very fluid 
artwork. I mean, it's vaguely anime, but not obviously so. Um, oh, I think I think amongst anime folk, this would resonate pretty pretty cleanly. I agree, but it doesn't scream anime like it's not waifu narset. Where, you know, if you're not familiar, you know, if you know what anime is, but you're not into it, you could look at this and still... There are classical elements in play. In yeah, this. very It's a mixed so. style. I agree. Yeah. But, uh, you know, as I, I browse through the Japanese Strixhaven uh, Mystical Archives, this one has way less inventory than all of the other ones. Um, so, you know, I, I, I presume that's a combination of kind of... It's got decent EDH support, decent modern support, and is relatively affordable. And I'm guessing that's where we're landing here. Um, there's also fewer non-foils and foils, which tells me that, that this is probably competitive oriented. Um, the non-foil Japanese full arts are about $20 right now. There's only seven vendors on TCG Player. Uh, the most expensive is 25 the cheapest is 18 so a pretty tight spread. The sales are are pretty good. Um, I mean, there was a copy, the last Nearman copy was roughly a week ago, but there's a fair bit, you know, one every day, every couple of days, maybe even a little more frequently than that with the foils mixed in too. So the the numbers on this are significantly lower than all the other ones, and I'm trying to figure out if there was a run on these for something. But, I mean, it's it's the 42nd most popular card in Modern, and it's an 18,000 EDH direct decks. But it's not like we do the, the metagame review every week. It's not like Ephemera has been crushing it. We're not talking about Ephemera every single week. It's popped up a couple times mm. here and there. But it's it's no, like... Um, uh, it's not expressive iteration. Yeah. No, no, no. It's not like it's a key card in Hammer Time or something, right? Or Grixis Shadow. It's It but, pops it's a key card in a big deck. It's in four color Omnath because they in the in the in the versions that are heavy on the comes into playability creatures like Muldrifter, etc. In the Elementals builds, they use it to snap those things in and out of play. Um, like you Solitude, then Ephemerate, or you Subtlety, then Ephemerate, or you Muldrifter, then Ephemerate, etc. But you're right; that is a fairly narrow slice of the meta overall. Right, and and yeah, and yeah. Here we are. It's the 42nd most played card in modern. So clearly, like somebody's playing it. It's just not a like tier one instant or sorcery, and yet it's got great, good numbers here. So the non foils, like I said, are just under twenty, eighteen dollars or so. There's only seven vendors for a total of eight copies on the non foils. There's a couple more foils in stock, um, which is why I was saying it. It seems like it's more competitive driven than EDH. Those start at thirty. There's only 20 listings for those as well. And again, one guy has a wall at 40. So I'm not technically picking the foils, but those don't seem atrocious either. But I mean, grabbing the non-foils, the 18 or even under 18, depending on where you're looking, seems like it might set you up to do pretty well here. These aren't any cheaper in Europe, once you account for shipping and exchange. Maybe a buck or two less. Uh, on Harayuya, they're sold out. And of course, Harryuya separates out the ones that came out of set boosters and draft boosters versus the ones that came out of collector boosters because of the finish differences um, that we talked about six months ago. Um, so they have the collector booster version sold out at $40, not in stock. They have the set and draft version sold out at $80, not in stock. Are they, they d differentiating b between collector and set boosters for non-foils as well? Um... 
checking. No. Because the treatment differences occur in the foils. Okay, the that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Even the etched foils, they're selling for 25 There's a few things going on here. Uh, Ephemerate is a popular card in both EDH and Modern currently, as you outlined. Uh, but it's all, this is also one of the top five arts from the Japanese perspective from the Mystical Archives. Because you had Time Warp, and, which is the fanciest version of which is still over $1,000. We just sent in a buy list of a few of them and people made a ridiculous amount of money. Um, the You've got the Faithless Looting, if I'm not mistaken. No, yeah, Faithless Looting, Grape Shot, uh, Ephemerate, and Demonic Tutor um, are heavy hitters. And I would imagine that Ephemerate has nowhere to go here but up given that there's no cheap supply sitting around. This is going to be a nice win for anybody that was hunting for a Demonic Tutor in their Strexhaven CBs or whatever, or their Set Booster box, and pulled this and thought, ah, oh, this is only five bucks uh, at the time, because the foils were much lower back down the road. We look at the, the one-year perspective on the graph on TCG Player. These got down to, uh, according to them, the lowest they've ever been was 17. So I guess it was never a $5 card. But now that you're pushing... 30 up into 40, you're looking at a double up in a fairly quick period of time for that. And in the same period of time, the non-foils have bottomed out around, looks like $12 and are now up to 13. And I don't think you would be seeing that kind of motion if it wasn't showing up in modern as much as it is uh, alongside the fairly persistent EDH demand. Mm -hmm. All right, so... So this is, this is definitely not the cheapest this card's ever been, but I don't see how this version is going to fall from here. Right. I mean, that's usually the, you know, it, it doesn't look like it's going to get really any lower. So even if, you know, I have a time frame of, oh, I didn't update the time frame on this. Time frame, uh, I have three to six months. Uh, I mean, there's so few copies. Six months does not seem unreasonable for this. To jump from twenty to it's a 40. little. It's always a little brave to say six months or less because sometimes things just stall and sit there and slow drain out. But yeah, you might be right on this one because when the modern decks run it, they don't run one copy; they run four. Yeah, very. Often. I'm gonna leave it at three to six months and be bold. Okay, fair enough. There's no, there's, there's no penalty if I'm wrong. <laughs> well, the the lack of faith of our listeners is certainly a penalty. You just don't have it laid at your feet very often. <laughs> The uh, Dryad of the Elysian Grove out of Secret Lair is my next selection here. This is the Thirst image by Fiona Staples, who was an extremely famous artist who was is behind one of the most popular comic book series of the modern era. Um, I think I have first edition, first, first printing of their uh, first copy over in the corner there that I bought my wife as a gift at one point. And, what comic book is that? Uh... Fiona Staples, let me look it up. It's, it's my wife who's more into it than me, but name's my on the tip wife. of my... My wife. The name is on the tip of my tongue, Saga, uh, which is also going to be licensed into... I can't remember if it's going to be a, a series on HBO or like a movie or something. Probably a series on one of the, on one of the premium channels. And all things Fiona Staples are, gonna, are likely to be good gainers uh, just from the crossover appeal. But even if you don't know who the artist is, the art's just good. And Dryad of the Elysian Grove is in 43,000 EDH rack decks, so even more than Elish Norn. Uh, down to 31 near mint listings. Again, it's a secret layer, so the inventory that's out there is already market facing for the most part. Uh, no huge 
uh, walls other than one with 30 copies at 24 bucks, another one at $26, 28 copies, and then most of the rest are 10 or less. Relatively steep curve there as well. So I think to call this to go, say, 23 to 50 over the course of a year is probably going to be pretty accurate. If I had to had to assess the margin of error, I would say it would end up somewhere between 40 and 50. And then you just got to decide if that uh, is tempting enough for you to take on some copies. I know we've talked about this before, but that doesn't mean that it's not a good choice anyways. I mean, the the, bo- the borderless foils of Dryad are down to 25 bucks. Yeah, and if we look at if we look at the, we're basically the lowest it's ever been, other than opening weekend. Oh, because it's a secret layer. It's a secret layer. Right, right, right. Okay, I'm thinking of the um, the pack one. Those are fifty already. Yeah, I mean those are fifty already. Uh, you know the extended art foils from, from the original printing from yeah Theros. from the original printing, and now the secret layer, which is also very good, is. Arguably a, a better because it's a, a borderless rather than extended art sitting at 20 something. Yeah, that's solid because anyone who goes to buy a, a, a fancy version of this is going to go, why would I pay twice as much for a card whose art is not at all better when I can get, you know, better art in a better frame for half the price? Yep. So this seems like this is just going to keep rising in price until it surpasses the original printing most likely and i've already made plenty of money on the original printing so if anything i would worry that my remaining copies are are being held back from selling while these move up to equalize and then surpass the price tag of the original i think this is one of those examples where original i think for edh players original printing you know people have asked us what do you what have you learned in 2021 i don't think it's a thing i've learned only in 2021 but i think one of the ongoing lessons is that EDH players probably care a lot less about original printings than competitive modern legacy players do because EDH is less of a nostalgia format. It's much more about building the hot commander du jour. And then if you're into fancy versions, getting the fanciest version that's available of the cards you're going to include. Oh, I don't think EDH is a driver of original versions at all. I mean, to some extent, there's probably people that want to have duels and want to have uh onslaught foil fetches and so forth um where those are considered the 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 sexiest versions but i think that the number of cards that where it's original version equals sexiest version is increasingly shrinking as they keep giving us masterpieces and box toppers and mystical archives and secret layers and the whole nine yeah for me the older the format the more likely that is to be relevant um, you know, it's not surprising that legacy or vintage players might really value the oldest version of a card, especially if it's the hardest to come by. But like, yeah, for EDH players, like, no, nobody's going to care about the original foil Dryad of Elysian Grove, right? That's just not not what they're in the market for because nobody cares. There's a zillion of them. They want the one that looks the best. And apparently that's the Fiona Staples one with those sultry eyes that say, you can <laughs> fix me. exactly all right so your final selection of the week oh i'm gonna top us off with uh tatsuko umezawa um of the famed umezawa family now for those of you unfamiliar this is the blue uncommon 
the uh, the two mana one three legendary creature creatures you control with power toughness one or less can't be blocked. So very good at getting ninjutsu triggered because all of your most of a lot of your stuff is unblockable. Now this is an uncommon from Dominaria, so we're not talking about something that's um, has had a very long time, but. This card does only have 14 vendors on TCG player right now with foils, which is surprisingly low, all things considered. Now, Tetsugo Mezawa is a popular, technically not a ninja, but uh, which is also surprising, but is absolutely a necessary card in most ninja decks because it's so good at triggering ninjutsu. Um, and that's kind of their big deal is getting unblocked creature, creatures through unblocked so you can swap them out. There's no doubt there was a movement on this card on Kamigawa's announcement. If you look at the price graph right around September, uh, you see the price jump from about seven-ish, six to seven, up to nine and ten dollars. So, which I believe lines up with when we first heard about Kamigawa. So, you know that's not shocking to see the foils have moved. But I don't think we're done here at all. Um, you know, there's only 15, 14 listings of foils left on TCG player right now. And then a very small handful of the pre-release foils. There's no premium version of this. Like this is it. It's the pack foil in the pre-release foil. There's not really anything else to get here. Um, so there's not a, there's not, not only there's no premium copy, but there's also no huge glut of supply either. Uh, there is a pretty good chance we will see this card reprinted. I would be quite surprised, in fact, if we don't get through Kamigawa season with no reprint of Tetsuko. That said, if we're going to see it reprinted, it's probably going to be non-foil. Like, there will be some sort of ninja commander deck, and they, if they put Tetsuko in it, it would be non-foil. Um, or any, even if they slot into the mystery boosters it slot, it would be non-foil. Not that those matter either. Or um, I just I don't see foils landing anytime soon. Now the exception to that would be a secret layer. So she's a decent candidate for secret layers, but there's a lot. But so many of the ninja ninja cards haven't been reprinted that there's going to be a lot of competition for secret layer slots. I would say. So I kind of like these, knowing that there's a, some quantity already in the hands of speculators, but that the majority of players have not gone and bought their copy yet. So they will be coming to the market in what February or March, and they'll be looking for copies. And if you buy in at 10, you can probably get out at 20. Um, you just have to fade a significant impact from a reprint, which short of a secret layer seems quite unlikely it's also a card that's just has a very high inclusion rate with a few what well, one very popular commander in Eurico where it's in 82 percent of all decks and then it's also in 87 percent of all arcades the strategist decks and in 76 percent of all edric decks is edric not banned in edh uh guess not edric Guess not. Spy Master of Trust. Oh no, I'm I'm thinking oh. of the three mana Leovold. Leovold, yeah, got it. So yeah, shows up in 76 percent of Edric decks, 51 percent of Min Wily Illusionist. So they're gonna give you some new fancy ninja commander here. Feel fairly confident about that. 
and there will be other commanders that will want to make use of this ability because it's not ninja-specific, as you said. Um, it's in 12,000 decks on ADH Rec, which is not bad at all for a, very, a relatively narrow card as printed. Um, and original foils are not never going to be any easier to get, no matter yeah. what no matter what form the, the eventual potential reprint takes. Yeah, now I did just say that I don't think EDH players give a shit about <laughs> original foils for something like this. So I'm I'm not trying to make that a, a pitch here. Well, I don't I don't think what I, my what my point was is that the EDH players care about what they think they personally think the sexiest version of a, a card is. And that's not always going there's not always going to be complete agreement. Like if you take a card like Demonic Tutor, different people will like different versions. Ditto Soul Ring. And so a lot of those premium versions have sold well regardless. But with something like this, there, there's only the one printing. So it needs a reprint of some kind to, in any way, upset that Apple card. And if the reprint doesn't appear as a foil, then this is your foil, your best option. Um, because a secret layer will have a non-foil and foil version. Um, a reprint in the commander deck will be a non-foil version. So, you know, it, we, we do need to remember that there are there is now the potential for there to be a premium commander deck released through secret layer that could include foils because because the the coin flip deck does include foil reprints yeah i mean i guess at the moment we're assuming that that's not necessarily going to be a staple and they might want to see how the first one sells before they go back to it but i agree like that's certainly another aspect that we have to contend with like okay if they when they do their secret layer commander deck for this set uh is this card going to be in it is it and is it going to be one of the cards that they foil and is it going to be one of the cards that get the gets the alt art that that's something that we have we may we may have to come to consider i'm not hung up on it today but i'm aware of it as a possibility like if i'm gavin and i'm trying to push that concept forward alongside kamigawa Pitching a Yuriko deck uh, as the custom deck on on the February layer is not crazy at all. It just seems so on the nose. It is, but it'll sell. <laughs> so, well, like the the coin flip deck was not though. The coin yeah, flip but that, deck but that was because that was his pet deck. They can't do Gavin's pet decks forever. Well, they could. I'm not saying they would. They won't, but they could. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I I, I see what you're saying. That, but that and that may be how they decide to go about it. Who knows? Anyway, Elish Norn, Ephemerate, Dryad of the Illusion Grove, Tetsuko Umazawa as our cards to watch this week. Moving on to our weekly topics, we're going to do our follow up from last week when we talked about the Kamigawa Platinum uh, Beetle and Grimm's release, which we didn't know much about last week, and now we do. Uh, so we can jump in on that. Um, I think you and I are on the same page here that this is uh, not exactly what we were expecting. Whew uh yeah we were kind of we were looking at this like okay well you know the other stuff they make seems a little mediocre as far as magic players are concerned because i think magic players are just a little more value oriented when they're spending this much money on stuff the 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 cost of things and the value is a little more at home when you're talking about magic products um than maybe like dnd but damn it i don't want to seem like i'm just shitting on things but it really feels like they missed the mark here and i'm not sure how much of that is logistics issues like one of the things is the biggest miss here is i cannot believe there are not there is no card product included here no draft booster box no set booster box no collector booster box as the anchoring piece 
that it's really hard to ascribe value to, like, to uh, justify the value of this $500 thing they're selling you when you don't have a product where people can go, okay, well, that's an instant $100 in value right there. Or if it's a CB, it's a $200 in value right there. And that anchors the whole thing. And I wonder, you know, how much of that is logistics issues. Um, but the thing is, this isn't shipping till March 2022. So I don't really understand how they couldn't coordinate with Wizards to get 1,500 CBs, for instance, included. Um, so instead, there's... And, and what makes it extra weird is when we when I guessed that they would include cards last week, I was doing that on the basis that the Dra- Dungeons & Dragons products they had generated do include the books. And the books are kind of like the... The books are the version of the cards for D&D. Like, that's the main thing. Uh, books and, and then, I guess, miniatures. And they're basically just fancier versions of the books. So, you know, you could follow on from that logic and think, well, they're going to give us a booster box of cards and then maybe a bonus card and then a bunch of accoutrements like this. And instead, it's just a big pile of accoutrements. Like you have an exclusive Neon Dynasty themed backpack, which is very nothing special. (laughs) Which it's you could buy this at Target. Yeah. Yeah. not in any way, shape, or form is this backpack remarkable. It's a there's a sword adorned card vault, which uh, probably the most interesting thing about that is that it seems to show off a legendary piece of equipment we're probably getting in this set. Uh, looks to me like a legendary sword. Yeah, kind of. Well, it's also called a sword, <laughs> a sword adorned card vault. <laughs> it uh, looks like a caterpillar, like caterpillar with a, a horn or something. I feel like that's a piece of a black piece of equipment. Some, some people GTA, suggested GTA this looked refashioned. Some people suggested this looked almost Phyrexian. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, this is a fairly good looking card vault. I think it's uh, it's a fine piece. I, I would only ascribe fifty, maybe sixty dollars worth of value to it, as it's a limited edition. There's only fifteen hundred of these that can potentially ship. Um, the they were ten percent off this weekend, and I think that's over now, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Then there's a demon-themed lightning blue deck box with a samurai uh, face on the side of it. Nothing too special there. Like, it's nice, but it's not amazing. A hundred black dragon sleeves and a hundred gold dragon sleeves, but they didn't show us them. And this is the real problem with this sale. They don't have pictures of all the products. And I suspect that's because their supply chain has not been able to generate the pictures. And or, as you and I were talking about off-cast, Wizards has told them they can't show off certain key art pieces until more of the set is revealed yeah which is which makes it very awkward for them to be trying to sell this right now i think the way when they should have been selling this is uh during the pre-release to release week because hype is at its peak a lot is known about the set and more of this stuff will have resonance with people because they're a little bit more familiar with the themes and characters that are involved. So the timing here is a little awkward, especially since it's not shipping till March 2022. I'm not really clear on the rush uh, to, to be selling without images. But at the, one of the things I think you're, pr- you're probably going to get a chance to do here is wait till the end of this campaign. Because I'm having trouble believing they're going to sell out 1,500 units at 500 bucks. If they do... That will certainly be instructive because it will mean that we've we our analysis has missed the mark because the product is not for us, but we've underestimated the number of people out there that the product is for. I I, I just I really don't I don't know if I know a single person who would be in the market for this, and I mean that's obviously anecdotal, but no cards, 
And Magic players, like, I really have difficulty imagining you're going to sell anything that costs as much money to Magic players and not give them any cards at all. Not even, like, cool, like, one or two cool versions. No promo Tetsuko or anything like that. Or, uh, what's her name? The other one? Nothing? Yuriko. Mm-hmm. Yuriko? Like, what? So let's, what, let's review like, what else is in here. There was the two-sleeve packs. There's a Kamigawa wall art poster. Five lithographic um, art prints. Those could be pretty nice. Um, they, they might be frameable because I suspect there's going to be some very, very good art in the set. Uh, Kamigawa art card folio. Unclear what that is exactly. Sidekick plush of the raccoon that's on the primary ninja planeswalker in the set. I'm sure some people will be down with that. I could care less. Art-inspired life counter. I need to see it. The most interesting thing that I've seen people most hyped about is an LED playmat, which they give no information about. Not even like a like a description of like what that is. Like, oh, we can't show it to you yet, but it's a playmat line with LEDs that you know runs on USB chargeable. But nothing, just the word LED playmat, and no other information. Really, because you're just. It also seems extremely unlikely that I would table something that distracts everybody at, at my pods table with my flashing neon lights that your judge is going to almost certainly get called on to ask you to turn off. Now, <laughs> but I, I will, definitely need to see it before I commit to it. Uh, I will say if they sell a playmat that has like a full LED, some impressive LED display built into it that's, you know, rechargeable via USB... And, you know, you can program your own stuff or it can do light effects. Uh, basically something equivalent to my RGB mechanical keyboard that I paid 70 bucks for. Uh, that's appealing because that's you can do some cool stuff with, like, highlighting the spot where your commander goes and your... The, the, There's no way it's that smart. Yeah, I don't think so either. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm outlining, like, what would this have to look like to be yeah, cool? Sure uh so you know you could do some fun stuff with that it could be gaudy you could be obnoxious all of these are very appealing if you're playing edh because you know half the point is to do that but if this is just a play map either with um the neon ink treatment like on the outline of the play mat or something like that or just some really basic lights like why would i pay why how is this worth that much money Ugh. Okay, I was wrong about the art-inspired life candor. They did give a picture of that. That's the Oni-looking thing that's like a samurai head on mechanical legs. Oh, that's the life counter. Yeah, that's kind of cute. Um, I can see people using it. It's, it looks like it's very hard to see because it can only face... The, the number of your life can only face in one direction because it's on a slant. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I mean, a lot of the life counters are kind of more for appearance, not for practical tracking, right? That doesn't... Probably the cool, probably the coolest thing included to my mind is the Kamigawa metal counter set where they have uh, like trample vigilance plus one plus one and plus five plus five counters um, that are done in kind of a faux old timey Japanese style and they look nice. I would need to know how many I'm getting of each to see how practical they are. Um, there's a demon mask necklace that they didn't give us a picture of. There's an exclusive game log. Also, I need words that describe what that is. A, a world map of Kamigawa and an in-world guide to Kamigawa. This just doesn't look like a $500 package to me. This looks like a $200 package. 
And the thing is, they have a $200 package called the Silver Package, and it only comes with the small deck box, 100 golden dragon sleeves, the art folio, the life counter, the play mat, the counter set, the demon mask necklace, exclusive game log, the world map, and an in-world guide. So you access lose access to the uh, bigger version of the... Uh, you don't get the backpack, you don't get the card vault, uh, you lose a, a set of sleeves and a few other things. So they're basically saying that like the card vault and the backpack are the extra $300, and that's just not making sense to me. That backpack looks like it's 300 or um, like you could get it at Target. Like, literally. Like, it's just, it's not remarkable at all. I mean, I... I... Now, here's, here's the thing. I did see people on social media expressing interest and excitement and saying they were going to buy it. But... All of it's are, anecdotal. What I say, what you say, what they say, doesn't really matter. Are, are, are these it, the same people that ex- express excitement and say they're going to buy it for literally everything Wizards shows? I want to see, like, what... Remember the Jace running shoes? Yeah. they're Well, they weren't running shoes. They were... No, they were running shoes. Actual Jace running shoes. Jace the Mind Sculptor running shoes. Uh, let me see if I can find them. Those are not running shoes. They were sneakers. Okay. Okay. I mean, they're all the same. Yeah, they're sneak. They're shoes. <laughs> they're not running shoes. There's a different. Well, running shoes nowadays are are very different from like casual Vans, DC esque type sneakers. I don't. I can't find Magic the Gathering. I just typed in J shoes. Shoes. Did you find it on eBay? I thought. Well, oh no, I found it on Google. I wasn't looking on eBay. I can't. I can't find any on eBay. So they may be long gone. Uh, I I haven't checked prices on those lit yet. But that, that would be a good indicator to me because they were ugly, like super ugly. And people were still clamoring over themselves to get a hold of them as a collectible. And if the, one thing that could happen here is if it sells out, it's probably going to be a price gainer because that's just kind of how FOMO works. <laughs> if, if it sells out at 500 and they go sold out, all gone. Or they shut it down and... They only like end up sell- selling 472 units or something, and there's just not very many in the market. It could easily be the kind of thing that sells to the niche Facebook group in five years for double what you paid for it. I mean, both of those are possible. Just as a piece um, of magic history, not because the value is obviously there. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, like, but then you've got, okay, hey, look, I have an, one of the Beetle and Grimm or whatever the hell it's called, uh, sealed. Kamigawa packs. Oh yeah, those are interesting. Those are really rare. Thousand dollars for a pile of garbage. <laughs> like I just, I mean, there are, there are some nice things in here. Not, it's not all garbage, but I don't see the value, and I'm just not going to put any money into it because there's so many other opportunities. So I don't, I don't need to guess. I'm willing to see how this one plays out, and then we'll know for next time whether we're supposed to jump in. Yeah, I, I mean, this is. I am definitely saying that nobody should buy this at all right now, and. I'm willing to be wrong, but I just see this being another flop, which is interesting that Wizards is trying to produce. Uh... <laughs> oh, I'm going to edit that out, but excuse me. Wizards is trying to produce um, some sort of premium product here uh, that's not cards, and it seems like they're failing over and over again. Because that throwable well, drain did not land either. 
Yep, and I'm very surprised that the lessons learned from the Throne of Eldraine Premium Edition have led them to this instead <laughs> of other options. They looked at the Throne of Eldraine Premium thing and they were like, well, let's see, they got a bunch of gimmick crap and some cards. You know what let's, the problem let's get here? Rid of the cards. Let's get rid of the cards. <laughs> yeah, okay. not, not more or better cards. They, they want less cards and more, more accoutrement. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so let's jump into some of the reveals because there was a fairly lengthy stream. They went on for about an hour on Friday um, and gave us some more details of the set, including filling out, filling in, seemingly filling in some of the blanks in terms of what unique Japanese angle are they going to associate with this set? Is it going to have like a mystical archive type thing going on? Are there going to be box toppers? Or is this just going to be a more straightforward set where they're going to lean on uh, alternate art versions like they did with Crimson Vow and uh, Soren the Mirthless Kojima version? Um, and it looks like it's very much like Vow. Um, we learned that there are going to be three planeswalkers in the set that are going to have multiple art versions. There's going to be regular pack art. There's going to be ninja frame art. Um, although it's not clear to me that all three planeswalkers will get ninja frames. That would kind of suggest that they're all ninjas, but I guess we'll see. Um, and then there's going to be Japanese alternate art. Um, and that alternate art is going to be done by three relatively famous, supposedly Japanese artists. The first one that was revealed is the primary artist for Fist of the North Star, which is a very long running manga in Japan that is very, very famous domestically. Um, and that anime heads in the rest of the world will be familiar with probably, and may have watched, uh, in cartoon anime form. So... This, they've only shown us the one Planeswalker so far. They're going to be revealing the other two along the way here during previous season. We've still got two months till release. Um, And the first one they showed us is the alternate art for Kaito Shizuki. Quick math suggests that the Kaito Shizuki Japanese alt art, given that it is a uh, borderless foil Planeswalker uh, released at the normal drop rate for that card, um, is going to be the same rarity as Soren the Mirthless Kojima version. And given that the Fist of the North Star artist is probably on par with Kojima in terms of recognizability in Japan, this is the forerunner for being the premium chase card of the set. Now, we don't know who the other two artists are. For all we know, they're bringing back Amano. Um, could be anybody. Uh, I don't know which of the three will end up being the super chase. It could be all three of them because they're all going to be equally rare. So you could actually end up in a situation where you have not just one, but three Sora and the Mirthless to chase, which actually triples your chances of pulling one because they're all individually as rare. But if you've got three things worth chasing that are all the same rarity, then you actually have triple the chance to pull it. Hmm. Uh, so we have to see which artists are involved. We got to see how the art looks. Like personally, out of the three versions of Kaido Shizuki they showed us, I like the ninja frame art best. That's the one where he's like leaping and his arms yeah. are both up. Yeah, it's not like special or anything, but I think it like it works well in the frame. And and the one from the Fist of the North Star is very like very much that artist style, just in the same way that that Kojima and uh, Amano's styles are very distinct. Um, and so I don't for a second think that the Ninja Frame one is in competition with the the Japanese alt art. I think it's very clear which of the one those two is going to be worth the most money. But it's interesting to note that with Kojima Soren, it was the showcase version, because that's the Fang Frame, which is the equivalent of the Ninja Frame here. But now it looks like it's going to be the borderless version that's going to be 
the chase. And so, yeah, we need some more information there. Uh, and of course, we need to see how Japan ends up pricing these. But I suspect, given their success with the other Japanese focus premiums from Mystical Archive, the Amano Liliana, the um, uh, various promos that have been Japanese specific, and uh, now with the Soren, that we're probably headed in the same direction with these three planeswalkers. Well, I, I, um, I mean, the Ninja one. I guess if I had to go, if I were going to go buy a copy, and I was trying to pick which one I liked the most for me, I would go with the Ninja Frame as well. I suppose uh, the anime version, the Fist of the North Star version. I'm going to describe the art style as maximalist. Just put ink everywhere. Just, which is is not bad. It's just a very specific type of style. Uh, not my cup of tea, but that doesn't mean other people won't like it. I guess my greater issue is that I don't know. It's a very distinct, very distinct for better or worse art, and also it's in Japanese only, um, which is going to turn off some players to it. But if you're buying this card, you're not buying it because you think it's the coolest looking one. You're buying it because it's really rare and it's the trace chase version. Uh, you know, and all those other factors seem unimportant if it's just the chase version and, you know, the other version, the, the showcase frame being the best looking is probably ultimately going to be not terribly relevant either. I mean, it's not like the showcase frame was amazing. Like if it was the same price as the pack copy, I would buy it. But if it was even $15 more, I would just get the pack copy. I mean, I'm going to open it, so I'm never going to end up buying it. But if I was buying it, I would pay extra for the Ninja Frame over the regular, just because I think the regular it's pretty lame. Um, but I, again, I have no doubt that it's going to be the Japanese alt art by famous artists that's going to be the chase. Right. Um, we should probably talk about Kaito specifically. It's a Ninja, uh, a legendary Planeswalker uh, Kaito, not Ninja, obviously, because it's Planeswalker. One blue, black, three loyalty. At the beginning of your end step, if Kaito Shizuki entered the battlefield this turn, he phases out. Plus one, draw a card, then discard a card unless you attack this turn. So you've got card advantage. That's usually a good sign on a Planeswalker. You've got minus two, create a 1-1 one, one blue ninja creature token with this creature can't be blocked. So it's got, uh, it can create a blocker to defend itself, um, but doesn't need to on the first turn because it's going to phase out at the end of turn. So you get basically a free turn with this, with this card where it's probably going to, at minimum, draw a card and make a ninja before anybody gets to deal with it. Um... And then the minus seven is you get an emblem with what, whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, search your library for a blue or, blue or black creature card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. These are all things that work really well in Yuriko decks and like your uh, cards to watch this week. Like they're going to be hand-in-hand uh, -hand friendly in whatever deck uh, is blue, black, and wants uh, both of them. So this card is going to definitely see some play. Um, and... I think it's a playable standard card, probably, and might be in Pioneer, and could probably see Fringe play in Modern, depending whatever whatever tools we get in this toolbox from this set. Yeah, it's not a terrible card. Um, as I understand it, the the because when something phases out, it doesn't leave the battlefield. Um, or should I say, when it phases in, it, it was not considered to have left the battlefield, so you only get that trigger once. This is not yeah. in yeah. contrast to what you said. I'm just clarifying for anyone. Yeah, yeah. you get it once. And yeah, unless I, you unless you flicker him or do whatever. Right, if you flicker, sure. But, I mean, that that's obvious uh, that that's how that would work. Uh, sorry, not obvious, but, like, that, that for sure that that's how that will work. The question is how will it work, you know, if you just cast it. 
normally um, you get the trigger once. But other than that, I think he's solid. I mean, he's he's going to be playable, at least playable in the uh, Ninja EDH decks because the minus the minus two. I w- if the minus well, if the minus two is a plus, he'd be a lot better. I take that back. He might not be good enough in EDH. Might not be worth the slot. It depends on how much other. Um, Yuriko? I think it's I think his inclusion rate at Yuriko is going to be over sixty percent. I think if he does, it's thematically. Um, I mean, you know, you're going to create one, one one ninja, and then for the most part, you're just drawing a card every turn. Like I feel like you can just do generally do a lot better than that for the mana cost. Um, so I find him a little underwhelming there. But in standard modern, he might be a lot better. I don't know. So let players who are better than I figure that out. So the final piece of the Planeswalker fancy art puzzle is that, of course, Wizards is leaning into this new numbered card thing. So they had the artists, two of which are still unrevealed, as we said. Uh, those three artists for the three Planeswalkers, um, they have signed 20 copies each. And they're not putting them in booster boxes, which is mystifying to me. Because it feels like that's exactly what they should have done, especially if the new the information I have about Japanese boxes being available in Europe and North America this time around being true, um, which is what led us to expect a mystical archives type scenario. Uh, but as far as we know, the Japanese alt arts are going to appear in, uh, or the yeah the Japanese alt arts are going to appear in both English in all languages. They're just going to be in their own versions so japanese sealed product is preferable and desirable because it will have the most expensive versions of these planeswalkers because the japanese all art so the fist of the north star will be available in all languages yeah it's the the art i guess using the term japanese alt art is uh not quite accurate the, the anime alt art well it's japanese alternate art but it's not unique to japanese product as far as i understand it it's but the Japanese text version is, and that's going to be the version that Harry Yuya, the, the version, my guess here is the Japanese alt art, uh, Kaito that comes at a set and draft booster boxes. The foils are going to be the thousand dollar plus card. That seems to be where we would be headed, um, based on patterns we've seen in the past. The English one, like with Sora and the Mirthless will end up the English CB version will be the cheapest version, but that card is still in the what two hundred and fifty dollar range right now, um, so pulling them out of an English box is still a nice win, but pulling them out of a Japanese box, especially if it's a set booster box, could be a huge win. Hmm. But it's a, very hard to do, of course, to pull something this rare out of a set booster box. Now, uh, the artist signing twenty copies. If you if you were going to include global distribution on the Japanese product, putting the signed copies in there would have sold product. But they didn't. Instead, they decided to go with an LGS support program that's Japanese only. So you buy, a, you sign it, you pre-register to buy a set booster box of Kamigawa Neon Dynasty in Japan, and you get a side-loading top loader that has um, Kamigawa-specific art on it. They did the same kind of thing with Strixhaven, and I found that promotion very strange too because it does let you put one card in a frame. That is unique, but what's the purpose of that? Like, if you don't sell me a hundred of those top loaders, I can't top loader an EDH deck. And if you only give me one, 
am I putting it on display? Like, I don't really get the point. But the, the little sealed package you get that has one of those in it guaranteed has basically a Willy Wonka ticket in it that usually will give you nothing. And, and 60 people in Japan are going to get one of these 20 signed copies of each of the Planeswalkers, which are going to be extremely expensive. Since I'm willing to bet in Japan, 80% of those are not going to change hands. They're going to be absorbed into private collections or sold privately. Yeah, it's just sold privately, I would imagine. The the top loader thing may be a element of their the the collectible display culture that goes on over there. Sure. Could when be. you were there, do you remember how you could rent those cases? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah so I mean like that's the best place to hunt for collectibles ever. Yeah, it seems weird to you and I, but maybe that's where that demand comes from. It's um, a strange one. I've got I've got a couple of them on my desk from Strixhaven and they are very odd, odd objects. But you, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Like those things that you yeah, can yeah. rent in public. So okay, so for our listeners who are unfamiliar, because I realize probably most a lot of people don't know this, especially in Akihabara, you can there are display cases on the street, like 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 you would find a vending machine, except it's a series of locked display cases that you can rent and put your shit into, and then yeah, it's like a, at, a, a a cubic foot. Of display space. Yeah. So, <laughs> which is, so this is kind of funny because it's like some people, a lot of people use it to sell things. So like, oh, I have this really fancy figure that was rare and expensive. So I'm going to stick it in this little cubicle with a price tag on it and like my phone number or an email address and people can contact. And this is my way of displaying it because there's a zillion people walking around Akihabara buying anime crap and they're going to see my figure and someone might want to buy it. But other people just do it to show shit off. So, I mean, I guess the top loader might just be part of that. Like, Oh, you can put your super rare magic card signed by the artist in public and people will have to look at it and know that you own it. it yeah. It, I, it, I don't, it, I don't it's, really, it's definitely I, not an American thing. No, but I don't really buy that. That's that, that connects to this particular product because the, the actual problem in Japan and the reason that those things exist is that everybody's apartments are so small. They have no room for anything. So displaying collectibles in the house is very much at a premium. And one of the reasons the secondhand collectible stores are so big and do so well is that people are constantly cycling things out of the house because they want to put something new that they're more excited about in its place. They might have a little shelf on the wall. It can hold six figures. They used to have these six. Now they bought a seventh. They got to get rid of one. They take it to the secondhand store, etc. So giving people very mediocre collectibles to display in the home Seems very unlikely to be a win. Um, seems because, very wizards. <laughs> sure. Anyway, I, I I don't really know exactly what the plan is there or how it fits into the culture. Not being on the ground in Japan or talking to somebody who's who's ex- experienced it and spoken to Japanese magic players about it, we're just guessing. Yeah. But I can tell you this much: the one out of twenty cards could be five to ten thousand dollar cards very easily. Uh, very very easily because. There's a lot less of them than there are of a mono Liliana, even pre-release a mono Liliana, uh, which I estimated to be under a thousand copies. Yeah, um, this is one of twenty, and they're numbered. I th- those are those almost feel of a slightly different sort than like the mono Lilianas. It's almost just like oh yeah, this is it's a there's twenty of them. They're signed by the artist. Like that's not a. It's not a, what, that's what, not a magic collectible anymore. That's like a 
an art collectible type of thing if that makes there, sense there's definitely some crossover there that can pull it up like you might just have a collector of fist of the north star artist stuff that yeah. steps in and snaps that off and doesn't care about magic at all that well that's what i mean like it feels like this is these are going to be not a magic thing they're going to be a people who are into these artists and the artwork thing and well, the prices they will command will be well beyond what you would expect for a magic card typically and heaven forbid that they do bring a mono back or it's a, po- a famous Pokemon artist or it's a it's a famous one. Uh, what's that pirate anime? One, one piece. piece. Yeah. I mean, I did there, not know that. Do not blame. I don't know that. Don't pretend like I know that. <laughs> Sounded like you knew that. Uh, I mean, I can think of at least five or ten major properties that would be very exciting to people and would have a similar effect that would be even more exciting than Fist of the North Star, which is which is kind of like rooted in the 80s and 90s um, more than today, whereas there's a lot of more modern stuff that probably has a, a broader overall audience. So anyway, we'll see how that all goes. Now, the other thing they did is in collector booster packs... For English language, um, there's Hedetsugu Devouring Chaos. Yeah, this is the one I think people are interested in. A rare card uh, for three and a black, four, four, legendary creature, ogre demon, black, sack a creature, scry two, two, red, tap, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. When you exile a non-land card this way, uh, Hedetsugu... Uh, deals damage equal to the exiled card's mana value to any target. So, you full you exile you sacrifice creatures for value. Scrying, you find a Eldrazi on the top of your deck. You exile it, play it, and hit somebody for twelve or whatever. Um, it's a playable EDH card. I'm a little confused, as did so were many people that saw how they chose to prioritize this card. That this is the card they picked out to do very rare treatments of i so i'm looking at the the article here and it does say this neon ink treatment is exclusive to these four versions of hidetsugu uh so i guess it's confirmed it is literally only this card huh yep and and this is the deal they have uh there's a soft glow treatment that is available on a variety of cards the neon ink treatment is exclusive to these four versions of hidetsugu and the, it's a brand new process. They, they showed a little video clip of it on the mothership. You can go look at it. It looks cool. It's not amazing, but it's it's solid. Um, but they've set this up to be incredibly rare across multiple uh, CMYK versions, basically. There's a, a yellow version, a green version, a blue version, and a red version. And that requi- relates to the details of the frame. And they've done more of this sports card collectible stuff where they're using color coding to indicate relative rarity. Less than 1% of uh, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty collector boosters will have a Neon Ink card. So you have to open more than 100 collector booster packs to find any of these. And then half as many green ink cards as blue ink cards, and about a quarter that many red ink cards as green ink cards. So if you had, for every eight blues that exist, you have four greens, and then you would have one red. Yeah. This and, then, is... and then the yellow treatment is only available as a promo card through WPN premium local game stores. So the green one is by far the rarest. 
uh, a little odd to me because I, I don't think that's the color treatment that's the most striking, but whatever. Uh, so no, you're gonna... red is the rarest. They're half oh, right, as right, right. green yes, as yes, blue. Yes, 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 red. And then a quarter as green as right, red as so, green. So eight for every eight blue, you get four green and one red. So, so in reverse order, the most common is it goes yellow, blue, green, red from least rare to most. Yellow, blue, green, red. Right. So to get any version, it's it's less than one percent. <laughs> so let let's say Except that for the it's yellow. so if it's 05 percent. I mean, let's just give them credit and say it's one percent, just a, a outside case. So you have to open a hundred boosters to find any of these, and out of any. 13 of them only one of them is going to be red so that means you have to open 1300 boosters to find a red one yeah. so 1300 boosters divided by 12 is 108 collector booster boxes to find one red copy that is retail of about twenty four thousand dollars yep there... so <laughs> What is the price tag going to be on that? That's that's the rarest card we've seen out of a collector booster, correct? As far as I know. Yeah. Uh yeah, I mean this is certainly quite a quite an approach they're taking here. Um I do think part of the problem here is that this card is not good. Well, it's like I think it's good. Like it's a very playable EDH card. It's got like a Draugr Necromancer vibe. Same cast and cost, kind of a similar suite of abilities. There's lots of ways to make this card playable. It's a solid commander to build around. But again, it is it is very awkward to me. Like I'm, I'm finding it hard to believe that once we've seen the whole set, you and I are not going to go, why didn't they do this with this card? Yeah. Yeah, it's not like, that it's a bad card. It just, it you really can't imagine that this was the best choice. Like, why not do it with whatever, like, the hot, like, the highest power level modern intended card is? Like, whatever the closest, closest to a Snapcaster Mage is that we're getting in the set. You know, some two casting cost ninja that's Dothy Void Walker level. Um, it's, it's very odd to me that they chose this. Now, I will say one thing. This is by one of the, one of the coolest, if not the coolest magic character of all time. For anybody that read these novels, this guy is such a badass. It's not even funny. Super enjoyable read. All his little adventures and interactions with Umazawa. And I'm, I dig that the, the character is getting some love. Card is just medium. So <laughs> why give it the ultra premium treatment? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is a curious decision on their part. To make him the, the the most essentially the most chased version card in the set outside of I suppose the number numbered Japanese artist signed yeah so. that's artist signed cards um, I mean it'll be there's no way anyone who's buying the good ver the the yellow sorry the red version of this card no one's buying that because they are planning on playing it. Like they're not buying that card because it's good and they want the best version of it. They're buying it because it's so rare. So they also showed off traditional Japanese woodblock printed basic lands. And these are, I think, widely uh, agreed to be some of the nicest basics we've ever seen. However, we get lots of nice basics these days. Even still, 
between these and the, and the Mystical Archives, you can start putting together a pretty sexy-looking Japanese-themed deck. Um, a few more cycles like this, and you're, you're going to get real close to being able to put together a, a strongly-themed deck. Because one of the issues here with this wide array of art styles that they're serving up on a platter for us in the premium era of Magic is the people that would be bothered by clashing styles that want to table a deck that all looks akin to itself. Whereas it's very possible to just table an absolute mess of art and, and formatting <laughs> and just confuse, especially if you're playing with new players, just confuse the hell out of everybody at the table. Yeah. That, um, uh, that post from Dan, that from uh, Dan Fournier a little while ago, really, it the nose on the head, nail on the head when he's like all of these cards fanning my hand of magic cards and it's seven distinct art styles and it just looks like it's qu- quite a mess. <laughs> it looks like you found a like a bulk lot of random TCGs in the back of some store. Yeah, yeah, um, it really looks like seven cards from seven different pro- products. Now that said, there are some very very nice basics here. Sw- the swamps look really nice. Uh, I think the plains castle, like samurai castle, looks nice. The mountain that has the Mount Fuji inspired art with the dragons floating in the sky is very very nice. And I suspect that the saturation on these in the set booster uh, packs that come from Japan is going to be very very lovely indeed. Um, apparently you get them in both traditional foil and non-foil versions uh, in draft set and collector boosters. And one third of Kamigawa and Dynasty draft and set boosters will contain one of those basics and every collector booster contains one foil basic. So in a collector booster box, you're getting 12 foil basics. So a uh, nice little value add to your collection for sure. They also showed off uh, one of the... Uh, new incarnations of the legendary dragon cycle where apparently the spirits of the dragons are being brought back to bear on kamigawa so they showed us atsushi the blazing sky um which i guess is the updated ryusi yeah that was the red one uh four four flying trample for four uh when it dies choose one exile the top two cards of your library until the end of turn of your next turn you may play those cards or create three treasure tokens so a four drop that if they kill it on site, you get three quarters of the mana back. And there's probably some combo loops that can be fooled around with with this card. Yeah, he's nifty. I mean, you've got a cheap dragon. And when it dies, you get the three treasure tokens. I mean, I kind of would have liked this to say when it comes into player dies, but I suppose that would have been too good. Um, Oh yeah, I mean that's ridiculous, right? Because then you can you can cast a three drop and the four drop on turn four. This doesn't seem atro. Yeah, yeah, it would be too good. This doesn't seem atrocious in EDH. Like you're gonna play this and it's not that exciting, but then you're just gonna get into the red zone with it, hoping somebody kills it. Like once you have one of your treasure token enablers out. Well, one of the nice things about it not generating three red mana when it dies is this ramps into Tiamat, etc. So in any of the like five color dragon decks, you're going to run this because it can you can kill it on purpose and bridge the gap to your whatever nasty nasty stuff you're trying to cast. Yeah, I think it's more of a standard card that, uh, intended to be more constructed than modern. Honestly, oh, not modern. I'm talking standard EDH. Right. I think it's more competitive than it is EDH. Would be my guess. Um. Also, this is going to sound, I guess, extremely pedantic. Not pedantic. Uh. Uh, pretentious, but 
it's oh god it's so hard to do Ryusei because okay like the the street I, fight, gonna... the street fighter <laughs> character whose name is pronounced R whose name is spelled R Y U U that everyone says Ryu it's one syllable and it's very difficult for Americans to do it. Yeah, so I'm not even going to try. Ryu. I'm just going to apologize again for not <laughs> I, not speaking Japanese and I do say my Ryu. best. I say Ryu too because it's just we don't have that like phenome in our language, so it's hard to do it. The on the basics. Uh, so I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think that these are mediocre, and here's my problem. I think on a computer screen they look phenomenal. You see this on your Twitter feed and you're like, this looks really cool. I love this design. Look at how great this looks. I completely agree with you. But lands are a card type that are put kind of in a pile, overlapping, along with a bunch of others. Creatures, planeswalkers, those sit clear on their own sort of unencumbered on the battlefield. But lands do not. And I think that when you start stacking them on top of each other, a lot of what makes these look so great is going to be lost a little bit. Uh, Can't we say that about any land? Yes, you can. But the, the things like the unhinged lands, where it was a much more, a much less busy artwork and just saturated in color, looks really great even underneath other cards because you just get this huge burst of white or blue or green from underneath you know kind of as it's layered but there's these are just so so detailed and so complicated that when you're kind of like lining up your land sideways like you see the pros do a lot you're just you're gonna see the symbol the the symbol in the top left and like all of it's it's just gonna be kind of lost and it's just gonna look kind of busy i don't know if that's gonna impact sales at all I just I just notice uh, that as I, I look at it. I think I think the, these cards can look. I, I, I think, go ahead. I, th- I think the cards look really good. It's just I think certain treatments are going to do better in certain circumstances. And when it comes to lands, cards with a little less line work and more vivid colors are generally going to look better. We'll see. I I suspect that that's overthinking it, and that a lot of people will just see, oh, cool Japanese artwork and buy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, and I think that a lot of that logic may be achieved after they've already hit the purchase button. Yes. I, you also you also flagged a point there that I think is important. Them placing the symbol in the top left actually makes these fan really nicely. Uh, so I agree completely. A that they will probably people will buy them because they look pretty on their computer or monitor, and they're not going to think about how good they look in front of them and b yes you are absolutely correct and i am sure i it's i that's not why they put it there but oh i think i know i think it's an intentional design choice by the designer well i was gonna say the japanese is would it be written like that anyways but now that i say that out loud i'm not 100 percent sure that's accurate i don't remember but in any case i re- i agree completely that that is exactly at least 80 percent of the reason that those symbols are there in the top left corner so that you can fan it and see what it is I also need to see what the foils look like coming out of the Japanese boxes because if they have a subtle foiling treatment or if they spot foil some of this, it's going to look real crazy. Like that swamp that's like a dark alley and has a red lantern dead center. If they only foil the lantern and the red bits, whew, that could be quite the foil. Yeah. Yeah. And, for, and just to be very clear, I like all of these. I think all of them look fantastic and I am not saying otherwise. All right. I really think so anyway, they, they did a great job across I really all 10 of them. I don't think there's a bad one of the lot. They also showed off key art of dragons flying around in the skies. So all five of them are going to be included. They showed off uh, 
a ganjo seat of the empire as kind of the home of technology uh, and presumably that means that there are i'm assuming that means there are in fact samurai on the modern side but maybe they're split between modern and uh and ancient we'll see um overall we don't have there's no evidence that there's any kind of box topper mystical archive thing going on but there's still more reveals to come nobody i've heard from in my network confirmed said same uh it seems like some of that may have been misinterpreting the whole deal with the japanese altar planeswalkers and the number cards and so forth but we'll see how it plays out over the next six weeks as we get into spoiler season more heavily yeah and we got we have what is it like two weeks Right, it's at so like the week after the first that they're going to start with these a little more heavily, something like that. Scheduling on this uh, mid January, I believe. Yeah, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty Stories begins January twenty fourth. Official previews in our kickoff video right behind on January twenty seventh, so late January. Heading into, uh, I think it's December, uh, February 20th release. Because yeah. keep in mind, with Vow arriving so late in the year, they have pushed this back three weeks. Yeah, because I was going to say, I remember the, where we would have normally got that slot. Yeah, the release for this was later, it was late February. Um, Pre release is February 11th, and worldwide release is 18th. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, I think that, okay, I think the lands look good. I think the the alternate ink Hidetsugu is fascinating. Uh, I think everyone is kind of holding their breath to see how expensive these get. You know, given what those Viserys seers, you know, we saw what was a couple of them go for like five grand or six grand or something like that. Well, uh, we sold we sold one for sixty nine sixty nine. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I couldn't remember if you were publicizing that or not. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I mean we're not making a big deal out of it, but yeah, a seven a seven thousand. You know, we have this one of that sold a seven grand. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, if if you have to open. 22 grand worth of cbs to hit that uh you know there's only going to be what 30 of them 40 and that's if it's actually they said below one percent so if it's 0.4 or something and instead of one as the base to find one then my numbers are low i mean this has got to be under 100 copies right for the red i, I haven't run that math yet but yes probably one would have to imagine I and mean, that it might be one it might be one sheet you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. Be 121 copies. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, I could see this ending up kind of on par with the Viserys series in terms of how many there are. Uh, so these could conceivably be in the several thousand dollar range. It it, 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 it bring ushers in further an era of extremely expensive cards whose price tag is almost ex- entirely based on their rarity. Because this this year is cool, but it's not amazing. It's not seven thousand dollars amazing by itself. It's just because it's numbered one of a hundred that it you know, and that one was sixty nine of a hundred meme value extraordinaire that it could command that price. And these are the same kind of thing. I the one thing is a little weird is not numbering these because in the sports card world with this kind of thing usually they'd be numbered. Um, Doesn't that and, defeat the per? Isn't the whole point of having the stepping this the the rarity stepping process to create a pseudo numbering system there but 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 within each of those tiers they would normally be numbered in a lot of cases in the sports card world i mean what did they do like one of twenty thousand? 
they do like i think like one of a thousand one of 500 one of 250 one of 100 one of 50 one of 25 one of 10 one of one something like that how long before we get a one-on-one again in magic yeah do you think they do a one-on-one this year well they just gave us a one in 20 I mean, a one of one is is good at worlds or something, right? Which is what they did. They've done it a couple of times. There was uh, Shijifuki Jin Jagger in the nineteen ninety six World Champ. Uh, are they only one of ones? I think the, the World Champ card is stuck in a trophy, so I don't. Exactly... No, that got pulled off. That was really? se- yeah, that was separated from the trophy and sold independently quite a while ago. No way. Yeah. How did they get it out of the trophy? It was it was just like it was basically a custom plastic case screwed to the base of the trophy. Uh... Oh, I th- I thought the thing was like had been like sealed 360 and then put into a crystal. No, no, it was basically this. It's just a thing that goes on top. They basically took a BGS case and screwed it into the base of the trophy. And mm-hmm. the person who ended up with it, I believe, pretty. It's been a while since I've looked this story up, but pulled it off and sold it privately. And I don't remember the last time. I don't think we know who has it. I'm nearly. How much you want to bet? How much you want to bet that was undersold by a lot? Well, I mean, I, I think it was current value. I think it was sold in like 1997. Yeah, like, so it's right. worth a lot more now. Yeah, there's, and I mean, what is that card worth? Who knows? It's a one of. Um, it's yeah. worth whatever you can get somebody to pay you for it. Yeah. Uh, well, pres- we're gonna see. We're gonna see something pretty close because we're getting these one of twenties that are only in Japan, that are gonna have no circulation in North America. Now, with our group buy on Japanese product for this set, we are actually getting access to the the little lottery tickets, basically. Oh, really? We're not going to get them one for one per order because they're pretty limited, but we're going to get a handful of them. So some pro traders will get a shot at these one of 20s. Mm. I, those to me, I again, those feel like you have left the realm of magic card and just into like collectible art piece. I also don't know if we'll know how much they cost because that seems like the type of thing that will all be sold privately. I mean, 20, one of 20. And so like technically there's 60 of them. Like it's pretty reasonable to assume none of those ever make it into the public realm. You'll see one on the high end group. You'll see one on Harry Yuya at some point. You'll see one on eBay. Probably. I'm going to go with maybe. I'm going to go with maybe. Because. And, and, and and some are just going to get thrown away. Yeah. Somebody's going to get one of those little things at their LGS on pre-release weekend. And they're going to grab a handful of stuff out of their bag and throw it out with some napkins. Or they're going to forget. They're not going to hear the story of what what's inside that thing before they open it. And they're going to open it and look at it. Just look at the like plastic side loader and go, eh, I don't care about that. And throw it in the garbage. Yeah, I mean, the number of people who, who throw that thing away without opening it has got to be relatively low. And then for it to be one of the, one of the signed art cards. I think it can easily happen. Yeah, this is a. Because if I was running the program, it would be more like you have to find one of these things and then you have to send it in, and be the, one of the first twenty to get it in, so mm. that you at least get to hand out all sixty of them. Right. Because I'm I'm willing to bet they'll they'll end up handing out forty six or something, and some of them are just gonna be sitting around, and who knows how those will get end up getting slid through back channels into people's hands. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting. I I guess I have trouble. In my head, I have trouble aligning the concept of these signed artist cards with, like, I'm going to say real magic cards because they don't feel like that. 
they feel like it's an artist an art thing first and a magic card second by a long shot as opposed to like the neon in kiritsugu which is a magic card right it's a special treatment magic card i i'm also very i'm not totally surprised that they only did this in japan i suppose because could you really trust trust american vendors with these one of 20 lottery tickets they're handed as a premium lgs how many of those would go errant yeah yeah i and also end up, and, and end up on ebay at 100 bucks a pop yeah it does seem like that would be a little harder to rein in they're a lot more procedural in japan you can probably pull off this promotion more successfully there it would be tough i guess i'm, I'm kind of thinking about it doing like a one of one would be hard because how do you make sure that it, someone has it well if i'm doing it i'm it, i'm just dropping it into a random box yeah but one, one of the concepts we talked about before with when we were talking about analyzing flesh and blood was me saying that i think first editions is a brilliant model like if wizards wants to front load sales on sets and because here's one of the things that happens in the market people are will hold off buying product until they think they've seen the lowest price now not everybody does that there's a lot of impulse purchasing but you know pro trader is going to compare a pro trader group buy deal to their amazon option to mvp to a discounted weekend on tcg they're trying to find their best price they're value-oriented people and if you Say that you're going to have Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, and it's going to be in print all year, but only the first edition boxes are going to have access to this one of one. <laughs> That's how you get people to buy at higher than their eventual retail low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm pondering because I think the idea of you know you you raise a point of how many of those sixty art cards, sixty signed cards are going to get lost. Somebody throwing them away because they don't know what they have. I think that seems very unlikely, based on the distribution model and the fact that it's you know where it's happening. I think if you ran that in America, the the odds of that increasing is much higher. Um, so wizard, you know, if you're doing one of one and you're wizard, you want someone to get that card. You don't want that to get thrown away. I guess they would probably put it like you couldn't just put that into a random booster pack because no one would know. Like it would be so easy for someone to not have any idea what they just opened. Uh, I guess they could seal it into like some special booster pack or something with, uh, you know, a different colored uh, wrapper. Maybe even like a note inside that says like, hey, dummy, guess what you just opened? It's a new house. Hmm. Curious. I wonder if Wizards has I mean, spent time thinking about it. <laughs> I mean, you could take... I, I could have so much... If they hired me as a consultant, I could have so much fun doing product design work on this on this side of things. <laughs> you can... Because the, the magic box that has the card in it, you could have, like, the first pack, you open it, and every card just says, this is the box, this is the box, this mm-hmm. is the box. Just, like, black lettering on a white background, and you're like, oh, shit, one of these packs has a thing. And then you would freeze, because then you got to decide, do you want to run an... Do you want to go on YouTube and Twitch and run an auction for the remaining packs? Or are you just going to go through and crack it and find it yourself? But I mean, the whole thing just gets absurd in a hurry and they generate so much press and it costs them so little to do these things. Oh, wait, you said the first pack, like a pack, like, like all the packs in the box are just full of nonsense cards. You oh. don't get any cards in that box. You just get, this is the box, this is the box, and it has like special Kamigawa art or whatever. Gotcha. And then 
say you know it's a black lotus or whatever that they've seeded into the uh, the return to return to return to zendikar and then you're, you're just you know that one of those packs has a friggin' black lotus in it you've been alerted the second you open the first pack you just know which pack it is then it turns into a huge press release sequence where you can like announce the announcement to the announcement about when the twitch stream is going to be and that person's going to and you're going to have Logan Paul is going to partner with you to to sell those packs off, and that's all the stuff you want to be doing to leverage the power of free social media virality. It, it would be pretty cool to be sitting on Twitter and to see a tweet from some like unknown account where they post a photo and like I open the first pack of my Kamigawa box and it says, and all of the cards say, "This is the box." What the hell did I just open? Is this? Yeah, and, and then Twitter would just like explode. Because that happens trying like Friday to scam night. the guy. Because that <laughs> <laughs> that fight that happens Friday night in the F and M, right? And then it's like a shit show because the three sharks in the room are trying to convince the guy to sell him the box right away. Hey, can I talk to you outside for a second? I'll yeah, give yeah. you I'll give you a hundred bucks right. I'll give you five hundred bucks right now for that box. Let I'll, me go to the ATM. Yeah, I'll write you a check for five grand for that box. <laughs> um, yeah. And then and then everyone's like, freeze! No one in the room move. <laughs> like forensics. We have to. Is this the only box? What do they say about it? What do we know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that would that would be interesting. Everybody runs to, runs to the counter and wants the rest of the case. You have to be you, with those types of promotions. You have to be careful because um, of the weight. Uh, the the way you outlined it would work, but if if you ever did I did anything with um, like with, oh the card is metal or something like that, like it changes the weight of the box and then yeah, people yeah, are weighing yeah. all their products. Well, and, that, and that's what happens with Pokemon is that they weigh for hollow foils on old packs, right? Oh, do they? Uh, yep. So the... Oh my god, uh, yeah. The, the, you, you mentioned it and I kind of glossed over it, but yeah, it's some kid just buys a random pack, a Lucy, at F&M and cracks it and he gets those and suddenly everyone in the store is tripping over themselves to buy the rest of the packs like yeah it would be like the store owner would literally have to throw people out of the store and lock the door because because even the packs that just had the stupid like this oh, is yeah. the box cards would be worth money absolutely absolutely <laughs> and i mean how much would that card be worth if if they put a singleton card in the first print run of kamigawa that would be like a probably i'm gonna i feel like conservatively that'd be 30 grand it's a lot it's a lot. It's a lot. It's it's like, it's it would be it would have to be at the high end of whatever magic art is going for right now, and it's been going for tens of thousands. Yeah, it would be the kid for some of the art. The kid who opened that pack that said like, "Oh, this is the box," he would keep it, and the store owner would literally have to throw everyone out and lock the door because he'd be concerned about the value of it. Well, and and again, it doesn't need to, it doesn't need to be one of one. Like you can do you can do these one of twenty, one of fifty, one of a hundred things. And the other thing I'm surprised they haven't done that we talked about once more, and then I will get out of this this episode, um, is God boxes. Like I'm surprised they don't do those on purpose because it feels like they have done them by mistake. It felt like at some points they might have done them as like a like a guerrilla promotion. That, that Theros one felt intentional. Right, but why not just announce it? Why not go first edition Kamigawa boxes? One out of every hundred set boxes, booster boxes you buy, will be full of nothing but rares and mythics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I agree completely that the there's tons of product formulation tricks they could be playing with that would get people pretty jazzed and like. It feels like all the options they've taken so far have been relatively conservative and very. Yeah, very conservative in the method in which they have done them and not great at generating lots of excitement and and press. There are so many ways that are costing very little to get people super excited about all sorts of aspects of this. 
I think part of the problem is that their printing facilities, especially Carter Monday in Texas and whatever, are notorious for bad QA. And any time you add any kind of like small project complexity, where you've got to pull stuff off the line and then you've got to hand collate it, there's you need to have on-site management for that and a, a rep from Wizards on the floor. Because like if you think about like what happened with uh, McDonald's, I was just gonna ask you if you knew about that. Yeah, with with like rigging monopoly contests for McDonald's for years and years, um, that's the kind of problems you have if if you because somebody on the floor is going to figure out the val like they're going to talk and figure out hey we're doing this new project and oh wow there's only twenty of them mm-hmm. and then they're just going to be like yeah number nineteen is going home with me <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out how that's happening yeah I'm gonna make sure that my you know my sister's boyfriend buys the right pack. Yeah, he's, he's going he's gonna to run a test print sheet and then sell it on eBay. Yeah, so for really quick for those who don't know, McDonald's, everyone remembers like the McDonald's Monopoly promotion. It turns out that that was fixed almost from the start. Uh, and in fact, one of the commercials... For many years. Yeah, for years and years and years. In fact, the guy who was doing it was in the commercial at one point as a winner. Like it was, it was wild. And there's a whole, you can read all about it. It was very interesting to hear how it all happened. And um, the trial for it started, I think, on November or September 10th, 2001. It was, it was in September 2001, which is why no one heard about it. Because obviously... Yeah, I love it happened like the next day. So, uh, but it was that was really wild because people I remember being young and really getting into really enjoying the the monopoly thing, and a lot of people did, and it just turned out you literally could not win. <laughs> well, above a certain level, like all the key, all the good stuff, key, all the good stuff. all the Keystone prizes. Yeah. yeah. All righty, where can people find you online, Travis? Oh, I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin B U M P I N. How about yourself? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Uh, we didn't actually talk about it, but are we doing the year end next week? We're still figuring that out, we're but we're gonna... <laughs> soonish. <laughs> okay. In the next couple of weeks, we'll have our year-end wrap-up of all cards to watch and so forth. Okay, very soon. We just got to decide if it's going to be next week or not, or in January. Um, okay, well, either way, I will see you next week, James. Thank you, Travis, and we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. <laughs>